Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. My name is Kylie Miller, and we have a, a, a group with us today. Um, we're joining uh, via Teams, and uh, we have um, Mr. R.L. Frazier with us and Mr. Bruce Garner. Y'all can say hi. I'll let y'all Hello, speak. Hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. How y'all doing today? And we also have Dr. Naveen, which he is, this is the first time you've been on our program. So, Dr. Naveen, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and then we'll get into our topic, I guess. Righty. Thank you, Kylie. And uh, hello, folks. A.R.L. Uh, Bruce. So, uh, everyone out there, uh, my name is Naveen Adesmali. I'm an agricultural economist in the Department of Ag Economics at LSU. I work in the area of soil and water policy and uh, work very closely with our NRCS state agency as well as our Department of Ag and Forestry. And uh, we, we evaluate conservation title of the farm bill programs where most of our farmers are very, very familiar with and also serve on the Governor's Task Force Agricultural Subcommittee looking at uh, how our farmers fit into the whole uh, argument about carbon credits and what can what is available for our farmers to take advantage of the programs that are uh, part of the national agenda of uh, climate mitigation. So yeah. I'll back to you. Yeah, well, um, and I'm sure people listen. Um, if they saw you saw us right now, of course, they're listening. But if they saw you, you would be you've been to a lot of meetings in our region. Um, I'm sure you recognize us. So but we want, we're glad to have you on today. And we're going to talk about, I guess, a kind of semi controversial topic, and that's carbon credits. Um, let's just get right into it. Um, what are carbon credits? Um, I'm fairly new to the term. Um, if, if you're listening, and you don't know. Why don't you talk about what that is? Okay, all right. So from a, a perspective and carbon, uh, car, okay, uh, let's, let's start with the atmosphere. So we have this carbon in the atmosphere and our goal as part of the national climate mitigation policy is to bring those carbon dioxide levels down to, uh, down to a certain baseline, which is probably 2000 levels or prior to that. But uh, so, as part of that agenda, uh, the agencies are looking to not just point sources. So point sources are like industries where there is a potential to capture the carbon from the production processes. Now, over the years, there has always been an interest from the forestry sector. You plant a lot of trees, the trees take in carbon dioxide. So are we sequestering? So that is the word sequestering is taking in more carbon dioxide than putting it out. So you take in more than you let out, that's sequestration. So trees are trees playing a role in carbon sequestration. This has, a, this has been an agenda item for about 20, 30 years. So there are countries that have implemented forestation projects, deforestation projects, and U.S. is not a, uh, not a farmer to that. I mean, we have huge amounts of forest land with, this, with the goal of sequestering carbon then so w when when we are able to quantify that carbon sequestration amounts that is what is called as a credit and that credit has value 
because there are industries that are involved in this continuous production process and they have to either expand or cut down on those or maybe new regulations have come in where they have to cut down on their existing level of emissions then these industries have a chance to go out and seek other enterprises or units that are sequestering carbon so in the past it was mostly forestry projects so when when we are able to quantify the amount of carbon dioxide that is taken into the system which is in other words sequestered that is a carbon credit so kali does that help <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah Wonderful. Go ahead, Mr. R. I was just going to okay. ask, how does that relate to agriculture now that we know what carbon credits, credits are and, and, and to right. the people, people listening? All right. Well, like I said, I, you know, one of the questions I've all, my extent of carbon credits, let me put it that way. Several years ago, there was a big push on. There were some people here in Madison Parish that did bite on it of planting Pacific trees. And I think it was cottonwoods, but don't hold me to that but a specific variety of trees, large acreage, with the intentions of selling carbon credits. And my understanding was, and I think you've done a pretty good job of that, Naveen, if I'm, uh, industry is, is, is a carbon producer, let's say, mm -hmm. where agriculture or at least forestry, we all know that plants take in carbon dioxide, and they admit oxygen. And this is the whole, what I understand the process of what they're trying to do is get oxygen, oxygen producing plants available to reduce or to offset the carbon emission by industry. So if an industry needed some carbon credits, they would, could buy it from a tree farmer and lack of my better ways to put it maybe, but you know, Industry buys the carbon credits from the tree farmer. Uh, am I on base? Yes, you are. Absolutely. And uh, I understand. Uh, I think um, uh, I'm sure the audience here would understand. So there is a buyer and there is a seller. And there is a unit that needs that is a part of that transaction. And that unit is carbon. And that is where the carbon credit came to uh, right. use. Well, my question yes. is, I can understand trees, okay? Uh -huh. okay? I can understand trees and, you know, they're, they're being accepted as carbon for carbon credit. What about row crop production where we have all this corn, soybeans, cotton out there, green material growing? Uh -huh. They're doing the same thing. Is Are they not eligible for carbon That's credit? <laughs> Good, good question, Oral. So when, when, when the unit that is wanting, uh, when the industry, let's say, is wanting to buy a carbon credit, they would approach an enterprise and see, is that enterprise actually sequestering carbon? So that is the first question an industry would ask, because uh, an industry just wouldn't come to you and say, Oral, you're growing crops, I'm going to buy from you. But they have to prove to the big brother, the EPA, let's say, for example, that we are actually sequestering carbon by this exchange or trade that happened between industry X and RL here, who is a row crop producer. So that, that there is that chain of uh, uh, documentation that needs to happen. 
So when the industry comes to a row crop producer and says, what are your practices? What are you growing? Yes, you're growing, let's say, corn on 100 acres. But how are we growing these crops? Are we tilling? And what kind of a management activity is being used? Because remember, when we drive a tractor across that field that is using gas, petroleum, and that there are certain carbon that is associated with each input. There is carbon involved in production of a tractor. There is carbon involved in the gasoline that we put in the tractor, so on and so forth. In summary, this is called as a life cycle analysis. So when an industry comes to a producer or a forester, either way, they would look at a life cycle analysis and say, does this enterprise, if I take it as a unit, would it, is it sequestering carbon? Is it taking in more than releasing it out? So yes, when there is that, where is that difference, then there is a quantification of, okay, how many units are being sequestered? And the units could be megatons or million metric tons. It is, it is, it is a quantification that, that could be agreed upon and there is plenty of material to guide through that trade transaction. So when when our produce when our when a row crop producer is thinking in those lines, we should not fault them for thinking in those lines. But is it actually possible to sequester carbon? And the answer is maybe there should be a life cycle analysis that has to be conducted on that particular enterprise. And it is a very painstaking, time-consuming process to do that, but it's it's a market and there is a, if there is a buyer and if there is a seller and there is a transaction it can happen so okay, from what i'm understanding then if actually an agricultural producer might might actually be carbon neutral huh that's because that's a, the, the the you know what they're sequestrian uh-huh. versus what it's taking to produce it, or maybe I have my terminology backwards, but you know, the carbon that they're admitting to produce that crop all the way from manufacturing of the fuels, the chemicals and everything into it versus what their oxygen they're putting in, they're, for sake of argument, we're gonna say they're neutral. Oh, you you, you spoke the words of the, uh, I would say a carbon specialist RL right there. And then that's exactly what they say. There are several enterprises within our system which are carbon neutral and row crop production falls very, very, very close to that. So yes, Good. we are carbon. But we're not on the negative side. That's the main thing. We, we, that's I mean, again, that, that's, that's, that's true. I mean, uh, our, our production practices, uh, make no mistake, uh, our farmers uh, put on conservation activities and everything plays into this whole life cycle. So yes. And we, we would not be, we all on this call would not be wrong at all when we say our row crop production is carbon neutral. Absolutely. I don't think we'll be penalized for that. Very good. That is good. Naveen, uh, quick question. We, we, we've, we've kind of touched on um, the, and you've used the term a couple of times, market. Is there a market being set up where a, a, a producer a row crop producer or a or a forester can say, okay, I've got X amount of acres in this crop. Um, I'm willing to sell my carbon credits. Is it is there a physical market that or or holding companies or whatever they're setting up to to, to initiate those transactions? 
Oh, uh, I, I think so, Bruce, absolutely. And uh, the market can be uh, a virtual platform, but the idea behind that is, is there a holding place for these carbon credits? And the word is a carbon bank. So yes, there has been, or there, there are discussions about carbon banks. And in the recent years, which is in the past year, USDA has been spearheading an effort to set up a carbon bank where farmers can start enrolling their acres and say, and I think there, there, there I mean, I, I'm not sure yet that there are the full framework in place, but the idea behind a carbon bank is if RL and I are farmers, we and each have about 100 or more acres, we would like to enroll ourselves into that program through the carbon bank and then once all the framework is in place, I think there are certain things that a farmer would be asked to do. And I think that's then on, it's, it's all self-explanatory from there on how one can generate carbon credits and how their carbon credits can generate revenue. You know, we've, we've touched on um, forestry. Uh -huh. uh, that's, that's something that it, it really kind of jumps out. You think about trees, um, RL's kind of touched on row crop. Uh, and that's, again, we're getting into that, that carbon neutral standpoint. Uh, let's, let's, let's push a, another button that, that makes it kind of hot here. Um, pasture ground. Uh -huh. And you, if, if I have pasture grounds and I'm grazing cows on this pasture ground, uh, how far off am I to be from, from being carbon neutral there? Um, you know, there's, there's been talk about people saying, are, are they going to tax my cows per head because they produce methane? Um, you know, and that, that's some of the views that, that people are putting out uh, anywhere on the horizon there. I mean, that's that's, you know, I, I realize down the road. But what are you what's your, what's your thoughts on that? OK, short answer, whether uh, whether there would be a policy to tax cows. I mean, if my con uh, convictions are right, I don't think so. I mean, the short answer is definitely not. But let's talk about that. Uh, let's talk about a pasture ground and having an animal enterprise on that pasture ground. Now, when we're talking about a pasture ground, we're talking about a grassland probably uh, in a long-term easement, let's say hypothetically. And that, that is, we, we have, uh, we ha I mean, the farmer has uh, put that land in a long-term conservation practice, uh, growing a probably a native grass or uh, growing a, a kind of a grass where you don't have to go in and uh, till your land and plow your land uh, now and then. So there is that part. Now, as an animal enterprise, yes, there there is that grazing that happens. And uh, what is the word? Uh, uh, NRCS has a recommended practice where you, you can set up a grazing plan, which is going to benefit the land as well as the whole enterprise. So when NRCS qualifies certain kind of a grazing mechanism as a conservation practice, I don't think and um, I would say I would be very confident that our livestock farmers should not be worried about their cows being taxed. No, I don't think so. And and all the enterprises, let's say row crops and livestock, we 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 on this call will not be far wrong when we say they are carbon neutral uh, enterprises. So, uh, they they are. I mean, we, I'm, I'm not talking about an extensive feedlot or anything. I'm talking about a pasture uh, enterprise or an animal uh, grazing enterprise. So. And that, that, that's a, a huge differentiation there, you, you know, pasture ground versus a feedlot versus yeah. 
some some other sort of animal ha handling facility. Um, you know, if you think about a pasture ground, there's if it's grazed over, I, I would I would be interested in seeing um, how close to carbon neutral, uh, you know, a, a, a traditional you know pasture ground where where it's cut for hay a couple of times a year mm -hmm. and it's grazed over. Um, it'd be interesting to, to know what the life cycle on that would be as far as the, the carbon foot, footprint. Yeah, that, yeah, that would yeah. Be out. And I, I think that there, there, there has been works that, that are done probably not in this, uh, I mean, further south, but uh, maybe the ranch parts of the country, Montana, uh, and all those uh, areas where, where you see vast amounts of grazing lands. I think it would it would make more sense to have studies uh, uh, reflect what is happening in such uh, in in that part of the country because I mean it's just the scale of the land that they have in the pastures and in grazing. So yeah. All right. One more question on the trees. Go ahead, Arl. Understand what you're saying there. You know about the trees and they're producing, taking in the carbon dioxide, producing the oxygen. You know, positive effect. Now, I've been in this program 20 years selling carbon credits. <laughs> it's time to harvest these trees. Mm -hmm. We're, I reckon, where, where is my cutoff point on being able to sell? You know, if I sell today, is that good for strictly today or is it a contract out five years, 10 years? Mm -hmm. Do you have the freedom to make the decisions you need to make on your place is what I guess you're. Yeah, that and just knowing when I sell, mm -hmm. does it adversely affect industry that I've sold to? OK, so I think there's two part questions. The first part, let's talk about a contract. Now, when when a industry is approaching an enterprise like a forester or a uh, a farmer who has long-term conservation practice. Again, it all is include. I mean, these are all part of that terms within that contract. Or so how long? When when they look at this enterprise from a life cycles life cycle standpoint, they would have a good understanding. Depending on, let's say, if it's a forest land maturity of the trees, how long would they grow and what kind of uh, uh, carbon sequestration they can achieve in certain number of years. And these are all uh, terms within a contract. And uh, to to jump the gun there, I, I wouldn't say that a, for, a forester or a landowner would be forced to do anything that is not within the contract. And that is something as an enterprise, both industry and as a landowner, it is important for you to read that contract, understand it, and know what you're uh, what you're being asked to do as part of this transaction. Now, as long as that part is taken care, I think both sides, the industry as well as on the uh, production enterprise, they have that freedom because it has been spelled out in the contract. So that's that's first part. Now, I don't think there is a cutoff point. Like, I, I didn't fully understand when you say, RL, am I free to sell? So what do you mean by that? All right, trees reach a certain maturity. At uh -huh. a certain age, they're mature. There they you need go. to be harvested and sold <laughs> for timber or whatever. Right. So that's, that's a I, good point. That's a good point. I'll, you know, when, when do I stop 
being able to sell carbon credits off of. Uh, Maybe that's the best uh, way to put it. No, you're right. Okay, I, I understand. And I'll answer that, and I'll also throw in another point that I wanted to. Uh, I think we, as a state, we have good amount of research in understanding how our, our, how our forest lands are and how our tree growth is. So just like an individual who is, let's say, their capacity to work in a field declines as they grow older, same thing with the trees. As they are getting mature, their capacity to sequester would be on that same trajectory, which is going down. The younger trees might have a much higher potential. But again, I'm not a forester. Uh, a forester would understand this better than I, I do. But it's, it's the similar concept. As trees are getting older and older, their potential to sequester is going probably, uh, it's getting lower and lower. So. Uh, a transaction would, I mean, uh, when a transaction happens or when those discussions happen between the industry or and the forest owners, they would they would have that understanding. Okay, here is a forest land that is already 20 years in, probably at 25, we need to cut it down. So we, we have about five years of sequestration in them and what, what is their potential. So yes, they, all those things would come into play. And I'll, 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 I'll throw in another thing too, I mean, this is, uh, this is out of a study that came out of Iowa, and uh, I don't know, Bruce, if you were discussing this before you came in, but uh, there was a study that was published which talked about have no-till when you're not tilling your soil, or at least the top part of it, it is quickly getting saturated with carbon, which is great, but at the same time, its potential to sequester further carbon is actually declining. And it's a, it's a very interesting study that came out recently, and. Uh, Every, it is getting everybody's attention and uh, uh, where uh, we have our conservation practices which are also focused on carbon sequestration and now here is a study which is talking about yes but maybe some of those conservation practices after a certain point in time you need to probably go in and do what is needed for the soil to probably improve its efficiency uh, so it's uh, so it, it all comes into that understanding what is uh, understanding your enterprise and what is needed to be done to increase its efficiency with respect to carbon sequestration. So, long answer, Arun, sorry. <laughs> Naveen, uh, um, just, just a uh, kind of a, and, and this may be way, way ahead, a question way ahead of its, its, its time, but when, let's say me as a farmer, I've, I've got 100 acres of, of ground that I've put into timber, Mm -hmm. And I, I want to sell the carbon credits off of that. Do I? And, and do you have any idea? Can you talk to how the contracting would work on that? Would it be I would sign a contract for the next, you know, or maybe think, you know, for the next twenty years on that hundred acres, um, I would, I would sell those credits one time, or would I be able with that, with that baseline credit go up as those trees get older? Um, and I actually, I'm just, just kind of spitballing some ideas out there and it may be way beyond the scope of this conversation but uh, uh i mean the question is completely valid bruce and uh, there is uh, it's 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 a valid question for a for a forester or a forest owner to ask but honestly i mean uh, when those discussions are happening you would probably want to have a forester a forest specialist in your room on your side to answer those questions but again I'm not a forestry uh, person by any means. I'm, I'm an economist, so I 
I understand the numbers more than right. <laughs> how it's how what is the potential and what happens within. I think it, it goes back to the growth stage and what is happening in that particular growth stage. So again, with my little understanding, I would probably uh, call a forester and say, "Hey, I'm 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 thinking about this. What uh, what 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 are the good practices I need to keep in mind before initiating a discussion like that?" You know. Yeah. I'm gonna back up a little bit on you, Naveen. Uh-huh. Uh, we talked about the the producing the the, the trees, sequestering carbon, and and the, uh, energy or companies buying them. Uh, does, is this marketing? I'm farmer A and we got industry A over here. It, does industry A come to me directly or is there a, the bank you kept talking about, is there a group or a company that would come to the farmer and say, I'll give you this much for your credits for so many years? And then he's sitting there with multiple banks, multiple uh-huh. producer input. And then he goes to our energy A or company A. I'm, I've got to be careful. I don't want to indicate anybody. Company A comes to him and says, we need X number of carbon credits. What do you have? Mm-hmm. I reckon <laughs> is there a middleman that's going to handle all this? And, and as a producer, they're not handling it. Right, right. So I think in the past, there wasn't any sort of uh, guidelines to help uh, a a farmer A or an enterprise A to participate in a transaction like that. So that's where I think the recent push by the USDA in establishing a carbon bank is to facilitate those kind of transactions. So to give both sides, not just a farmer or or an industry, both sides a platform to say whom do i let's say if someone wants to buy carbon credits in louisiana how where would they go to where would they start what is the starting point i think that carbon bank where let's say you and bruce enroll yourself into that bank saying i have 100 acres i plan to put it in some some sort of a long-term conservation the bank is providing that platform to bring those entities together. But again, we are, at least with the Carbon Bank, we are in the very young stages of that process. But this kind of transactions are not new. I mean, where we have uh, wetlands, uh, wetland transactions in the North, uh, in the Chesapeake Bay area, they have been happening for years now. And uh, credits have been transacted, I mean, uh, with with wetlands, uh, water quality and all those. So. There, 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 there is a framework in place where the agencies and the industries and the enterprises can rely to understand how all this works. So, from a yes. personal standpoint, I can see if I was in the industry, mm-hmm. instead of going out here and trying to find a hundred producers to give me enough carbon credit and have a hundred different contracts out there, it would be a lot easier for me to say, okay, here's a bank over here for lack of a better term right now, Mm -hmm. a pool that somebody manages that's already made these individual contracts with with producers and he's got them there, then he turns, I mean, yeah, there's a middleman, he's gonna make some money off of it, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But again, to me, the headache of an individual trying to negotiate with 
companies and the company having to negotiate with hundreds of small producers in terms of what they're needing, it would be easier for the producer to sell to the bank, the industry to go to the bank and buy what they need. Absolutely. And this that's is just simplicity. Yeah, you got a middleman in it, but that's just life. Right. And we call that a carrot and a stick approach. So carrot is the bank where an enterprise doesn't have to go look for all the smaller units to make that. But the stick right. is if those units are not satisfying, that bank knows right away and you are being held uh, accountable for making sure you're, you're meeting right. your... Uh, so that's that's the carrot. So there is, and both sides, let's say even for the farmers, they don't have uh, probably the, I would say, the knowledge and the know-how of these transactions being because they are really new to new to the market. Uh, these kind of transactions could be very new and the language could be convoluting, intimidating. And this is a bank that is providing that uh, avenue. So that's the carrot part. The stick part is if, if, your, uh, if your land isn't generating and if this, there is some kind of uh, practice that is not contributing to the credits, Sorry, uh, you you have you you you'd probably not be able to sell your credit. So, well, Doctor Main, I had a question. Um, you know, being a farmer's wife and all that. I mean, essentially going back to what you said at the beginning. I mean, this is essentially a, you know a commodity. It's a product we sell. What kind of money are we talking about here? Like, what is? Do you have any idea? Like, what is the exchange is? Numbers numbers have been floating around, Kylie, and I'll say this. I mean, the other day we were looking at uh, numbers from $30 uh, per acre for certain practices, which are carbon sequestering. And all of a sudden there was this agency that came out and said, we are going to give $100 an acre. I'm like, uh, again, can we substantiate that? Do we know what went into generating that number? We don't. Uh, so we, we definitely on being an economist, I would be cautious to take that number as given and say, oh, here's an agency that is giving me hundred dollars, but what are, what are, what is, what is, what is it being asked from the perspective of generating that carbon credit to get that hundred dollars is equally important. I mean, uh, so we, we don't know the numbers have been, uh, pretty wide range, but I'll, I'll put this from, uh, as a policy person, I would look at if a farmer has a practice, a conservation practice on the ground, let's say he or she is doing it on their own, a starting point is what is the kind of incentive that NRCS is providing them to put that practice on the ground. And if NRCS has come up with, let's say, $25 an acre to do, or I'll, I'll take $15 an acre for reduced tillage of conservation tillage. So NRCS thinks $15 an acre is a reasonable price to put that conservation practice on the ground because it would cost the farmer that amount of money. So that would be a good starting point to initiate a discussion. I'm not saying that is a price. It is where would we as policy folks look for numbers when we don't have anything? We, we, we try to get creative and see what what is it that other agencies are doing to support a practice like this? Oh, we have an RCS giving, let's say, $15 an acre. Maybe that is a good starting point. Maybe it could be low or could be high. We don't know. But 
it's it's about uh, understanding that. But those numbers, uh, I don't trust them that are on the internet, and I would caution our farmers not to trust them as well. Um, and, uh, Quick question, or maybe we we keep beating the beating this dead horse to death. <laughs> uh, would a would a good summation be, Naveen, that this is a new industry, a blossoming industry, and with that, you're going to have crooks out there. So mm-hmm. take your time if you're interested in this and get seek professional help. You know, somebody that's versed in it versus just jumping out there and going wild. There is potential for income. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- yes, Arl. Uh, absolutely. A, it's a new industry and we don't know all the answers right now. Absolutely right. But I'll also say this. I'll use the word it is it is an industry or it is a, a kind of interest that has potential and several of our farmers we uh, they have conservation on the ground but as you said know what you're getting into don't just go by the dollar figure that is floating around get professional help and yes there will be lawyers involved i mean you will have to buddy up with a lawyer to make sure you are protecting your enterprise because uh, it's it's uh, you're, you're dealing with uh, a transaction here. It's it's not about whom you're dealing with. You're dealing with a transaction. It's a market where you buy and sell product now, and that product is a carbon credit. So you will be held liable or accountable for just like any other uh, uh, buy and sell transaction. So yes, you will have to buy up with the lawyers to make sure that you're, you're understanding what you're getting into. At the same time, you will have professional help. I mean, agencies, LSU Accent, or, I mean, we have folks that are looking into measuring carbon or agronomy, soil scientists, or other scientists at other land-grant universities where there has been some research. So yes, seek all the help before jumping into this. But yes, this industry, this the carbon credit thing is going to stay and it has potential and it is probably an avenue for our farmers to generate some additional income. Absolutely. I believe in it. I believe it is going to stay and I think it is going to be good for our farmers, given that we we, we are champions of conservation in the state. Yes. Very good. I appreciate well, I think that's you. a good place to close because I was going <laughs> to give ask you to give me a yes or no question answer and it was going to be do you think this is good you know so, and i think you close with that so but um but yes we appreciate you being with us today dr ravine and taking that time to come talk with us and our listeners about about this topic and uh, of course you're welcome anytime and anytime you have an idea you would like to get out please reach out we'd be happy to help and uh look forward to working with you in the future about all this thank you thank you folks thank you for having me on this call and appreciate the opportunity to talk to talk to our uh, former client too thank you all right thank thank you The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local Extension office.